better tap out. Go off the top rope, so look out below. And the next thing you know, you'll be on the floor. What you gonna do when you're on your back? From a mean body slam, I'll damn you whack. You like, what the heck? All of a sudden, this dude sitting on my neck. Where's the ref? Straight from the WWE. You know how much trouble you see when you face the man of mystery. Flipping and spinning and doing it fast. You can't remove the mask, cause he's kicking your ass. Who's that jumping out the sky? to me. Oh, wait. No way! Hulk slash! Frog slash! 
Nash. He's got it. No way. No way. He did For a gut wrench, looks like off the second rope. Mysterio fighting back, fighting hard. Mysterio, oh, it's Mysterio up to here. What the hell? Look at this. Oh Mysterio, Kidman's shoulders down. Kidman's oh. eliminated. Mysterio right in front of me. Purana from the top to the bottom. Cover one. in the back of his head. Mysterio's quick watch, he's gonna fly up over the top, but a quick screw over the top rope. What, what, what is Ray? I have no come on. idea. Yeah, I have no earthly idea. What the hell no. is Ray Mysterio no. gonna do here? No. Ray, are you crazy? Off the stage, seated senton, taking Chavo out. Mysterio up to here. Watch this. Whatever, it's gonna be something nuts. Oh, oh my god! From the top rope of Hurricane Rana! Well, we rose Hurricane Rana from behind, I think. It's Ray Mysterio scaling the cage! Mysterio's back out here, and he's still gonna make a big impact! From the top of the cage! I've never seen anything wow. like that. Welcome, everybody, to the latest edition of the Legends of Sports and Today, I am privileged and it is my pleasure to introduce a brother from Detroit who is doing great work out there with his neighborhood grocery store. Uh, he will he will give you all that information at the end of the program. My brother from Detroit, Rafael Wright, and today we are talking about the career of what I consider the greatest luchador of all time, who I consider the wrestler of all time. Uh, Rafael give, will give you his rundown at the end of the program and who he thinks is the greatest luchador slash American wrestler of all time. But today we are talking about Ray Mysterio Jr. Raphael, give the give the wrestling fans and the sports fans and the music fans out there a brief rundown of how old were you when you became a wrestler, who got you into wrestling, or the first matches you attended, and when did you first hear about Ray Mysterio Jr. and the first time you saw Ray Mysterio Jr. Well, I'm just calling him Ray Mysterio. Um, no, the reason he was Ray Mysterio Jr. when he first came to wrestle was because his uncle was Ray Mysterio. So he added to Jr. But there is no comparison between the two. Uh, easy analogy, Floyd Mayweather, I never call him Jr. Because his father was Floyd Mayweather Sr. of boxer born, but you can't compare it to as far as great fighters because Floyd was a run of the senior, was a run of the mill journeyman, just like Ray Mysterio Sr. was a run of the mill journeyman. Go ahead, big man. Do your thing. 
Absolutely, man. That was a great um, analogy to compare it. Uh, but yeah, man, um, I fell in love with pro wrestling. I'm gonna be honest, man. I'm, I'm from Detroit, and growing up in the '90s, I was born in '88. We only got WWF or WCW. So um, I saw some great mm-hmm. wrestling, but um, I was exposed to territory wrestling, visiting my grandfather. But that's when I fell in love with professional wrestling because it was just a night day. Um, I, my grandfather, it was in Arkansas, and I would spend uh, a lot of time down there in my, my childhood. My father would take me down there, and I would visit aunts and cousins and whatnot. My grandfather mm-hmm. was addicted to professional wrestling, and that's all he watched. So I used to like it from what I would see up here watching WWF or WCW. And Bret Hart was my guy. Um, mm-hmm. But I did not fall in love until I started watching territory wrestling down in Arkansas. Um, I didn't know that there was other forms of wrestling at the time. I just thought it was WWF or WCW. And I was like, so I was born in the late 80s. The territories were pretty much on life support. And you didn't have that many that had TV or um, had any type of notoriety because you only had the two big dogs. Um, but when I went down to Arkansas, you had the USWA that was on and ran. Yes. Jerry, yeah, yes. That, was, that was ran by Jerry Jared and, and Jerry King Lawler. And I, yeah, that's when I fell in love with it. You know, it, you, we were born in 1980. You were born right at the tail end of the territory system where in the United States, like um, I first started watching wrestling when I was 13 back in 1981 and born and raised in New York. I had on TV, just regular TV, no cable because we get cable to the 90s. You had your WWF All-Star Wrestling, WWF uh, Championship Wrestling, but on the UHF channels, you had other wrestling, Channel 47, you had floor wrestling, which was Rhodes and Barry Windham in them on a late Tuesday night and Saturday afternoon you'd have the the dying promotion the Los Angeles wrestling promotion NWA wrestling from LA which had Mil Moscatus and, and the first time I saw I didn't have cable but as the 80s progressed uh, Raphael stations throughout the country started showing more independent wrestling I mean, territory from the territory like Mid South, and what you well before was the USWA. It was Memphis Wrestling, which you was watching in Arkansas with Jared Law. You was probably seeing Jeff Jarrett, right? Bill Dundee when you were yeah. when, when you were done. Yeah, yeah. Did yeah. you there? I never attended any wrestling any wrestling matches down there, but again, it was just a night and day. From what I was seeing on TV in Detroit, it was always stadium, bright lights, right, right. Um, real right, clean. Right. You know, the WCW that was a little darker. You know, what I mean, they, it, it right, was a little, right. you know, they had a little blood and stuff like that. But man, at USWA, they was wrestling in the gym, gymnasiums, and high schools and stuff, and auditoriums, and uh, it was a it was. You were a kid. Yeah, I was a kid. So when you were a kid in the early nineties. There was only two really uh, territories left. That was Smoky Mountain and USWA. Um, mm-hmm. And they both very similar in that they ran a lot of angles, was a lot of putting cuts, and it was more exciting to me than what WCW and WWF was showing. It was like, 
I was already a grown man. Like, I was loving it. But for a kid like you watching you UWA, it must have been like culture shock. <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a culture shock, and it was like dark. It was it was a lot of blood, and it was real violent, mm-hmm. and it was like you know. Uh, it was country as hell, you know what I'm saying? Me, me being from Detroit, it was like just hearing the accents and all that stuff. But it was like, um, and I would never forget this too, the cross promotion, because this is around the time that Jerry Lawler um, signed to WWF. It was in New York. Right. And, you know, the USWA was like the first NXT. That was supposed to have been the vision that USWA would be a feeder system for the WWF. And um, Jeff Jarrett was, he had just got signed, like, just wow. before, just wow. after that. But he was a baby face in the USWA. And he was a heel in the WWF, so culture shock. I'm like, it's one guy playing two different characters. He's being cheered here, but he's being booed. Oh, oh, Lola and Jarrett were heels in the WWF and baby faces in the USWA. Yep, exactly. Yep, exactly. And another guy that you didn't bring up that was down there that became my favorite wrestler for a long time was Too Sexy Brian Christopher, which was Jerry Lawler's son. And he had a blood Rest in peace. peace. Rest in peace to Brian Christopher. Yep. He ended up being Grandmaster Sexay in the WWF for Too Cool with uh, Scotty Too Hotty and Rikishi. For those who don't know, but. they were they were super over. They were super over. Let me tell you, every time I went to the to, every time I went to the Garden or the Nassau Coliseum or the Meadowlands, because I used to go to all the cards in the late nineties with my uh, beloved son. Rest in peace to my son. But we used to go. We used to get the biggest pops. when Rikishi and them cats came out, the crowd, especially the kids, went ape shit. <laughs> Yeah, Brian like Brian Christopher specifically was the the talent that never got the the break. Why I don't know, I don't know how, but he has such electricity in the USWA. When I finally seen him on WWF TV, and that was like maybe '96 or something. This is way before Too right, Cool, right? When he yeah. debuted, and it was like a, they had like a cruiserweight division, they were like light heavyweights or whatever. Um, I just knew he was gonna get that that break, but. Um, for some reason, it just didn't resonate with the with the big uh, audience. But um, he was super over as too cool, and he was super duper duper over um, in the USWA. You know, I mean, it was legacy. Now, when you done, so when you saw him face already, because he was a great heel before he became a baby face in the USWA. He was just like his father, cocky, arrogant. Motherfuckers were hating. Because Jerry Lawler was a, was a big heel in the 70s. And then when he became a babyface, that's when he became the biggest star in the history of Memphis wrestling. And unfortunately, when uh, his son Brian Lawler, Brian Christopher, real name Brian Lawler, turned babyface, that was at the dying days when you was watching it of the USWA. Yeah, yes, yeah, sir. Yep, it was. Um, he he was a, a tremendous heel, tremendous baby yes. face. But you know, because the visibility wasn't there, they didn't really pop. I think his biggest, I want to say his his biggest match in USWA, and you know, just so happily, I remember being in Arkansas watching this because that territory at the time, that um territory they would run Arkansas, 
They would run Tennessee. They would run Kentucky, similar like Smoky Mountain. They would run parts, and then they had Texas. Remember, they bought um they bought the the Von territory. Yeah, they had da- they, they had Dallas. So. The territory, just like you said, territory was Dallas, parts of Arkansas, parts of Indiana, parts yeah, of Tennessee, yeah. and and um parts of Tennessee. Wait, was it Tennessee? Oh, they ran they they ran um in Tupelo, Mississippi, also. I could, yeah, y'all can believe that. Yeah. It's right yeah. there. But the biggest match he had, and I was down in Arkansas. This this is a live show. Um, they were they had they did they had ended up doing the Mid South Coliseum. This is before it was torn down. They ended up packing that out, and Razor Ramon was the USWA champion, and it was just like a short little tour, and um, he wrestled right. Christopher, right. and they fucking tour. They Scott Hall was always one of my favorites because he was just so clean. But him and Brian Christopher put on a fucking show. Um, and, and I remember Scott Hall. God damn, so many, so many of these dudes that we'll be talking about today have have, have passed. Shit. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. But yeah, that was that's when I fell in love with wrestling. And then when I came back home, like after those experiences. It was on from there, man. I was buying the magazines and all that stuff. And then I got a little older, and then uh, WCW became what it became. And then they had the Monday Night right. Wars, and then it was on from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, Detroit had a great territory for years until it died. Uh, you ever, you, you have, you ever knew about the, your your territory in Detroit, ran by the yeah. Sheik? Yeah, yeah, man. My, yeah, man. It's crazy. My uncle had a bunch of uh, like wrestling uh, books. Um, you know, like the program, <laughs> oh, like the programs from Joe yeah. Louis Arena and Cobo Hall, and um, I got a, I got, a, I got access to a lot of them, man. Um, these books had, you know, the, the Sheik was the territory owner. He ran it. Um, the Sheik was from uh Toronto. Oh no, he was from Windsor. Mm-hmm. Sorry, he was from Windsor, but he, you know, Windsor, right? Just, 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 uh, uh, Sabu. Yes, yep, yep, yep. Sabu's uncle, yep. He was the, you know, a legend in the 60s and 70s. And, um, you know, we also had a lot of great Bobo Brazil was the biggest baby face here. Yes, um, yes. Rocky Johnson, uh, the, the Rock's father, got uh, mm-hmm. a big break up here. You know, um, the Buddy Rogers, a- everybody. It was a lot of people that ran through this town. Dusty Rhodes' first big break, I believe, you had mm-hmm. all the Bruno come there. You had all the superstars in the sixties. Detroit was on the same level as Toronto, St. Louis, New York, as far as wrestling attendance for the years. Because if I'm not mistaken, and people out there can correct me, because I'm not from Detroit, even though I am, I'll be 54 next week. Uh, I think they ran twice a twice a month at Kobo. Yep, they did. Yep, you know, and then we had the U.S. title up here. We had one of the more important United mm-hmm. States championships up here that the Sheik had for a long time. So, um, this was an important territory. Oh, and all the other champions to come there, a loot, Terry. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. the Sheik, they were part of the NWA, and the NWA champion would come, would come and defend against the Sheik. But they always would come there. Um, God, what was what was the big arena back then? What was the arena before the Joe Louis Joe Louis Arena? Back where yeah. did the Detroit? We where had did Cobo, Pistons? We had Cobo Hall and you had the Silver. They played the Cobo. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay, so the Cobo Hall was where the Pistons and the Red Wings played in the seventies. Uh, they yeah, yes, yeah, sir. 
Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. And that was pre. Yeah. All right. All right. So, and then, um, first time you heard, uh, you heard about and saw Ray Mysterio. Um, WCW. I had never heard of the guy before. Um, he debuted right around that time that Hulk Hogan was. It was a lot of. It was a lot of smoke happening in WCW, and um, they, you know, the, the, I don't know why they never changed the formula, but it was like. They always had the best undercard in wrestling, and the main event would always be shitty. And you only watch WCW because of the undercard. And the undercard had right. Ray Mysterio's and mm-hmm. you know these other guys that were smaller and that was doing these mm-hmm. crazy, you know, acrobatic moves in the ring. They always won it over, and they the ones who ultimately um, kept the Monday Night Wars what they was you know they had the star power eventually with like hall and nash and nwo and hogan mm-hmm. but it was always ray eddie dean chris benoit um those guys that ran mm-hmm. they ran the shows and that's when i first got exposed to ray mysterio was uh watching wcw because uh razor ramon and diesel was on uh wcw tv and i didn't know what the hell was going on and watching it i ended up seeing ray mysterio just it was fucking amazing i never seen nothing like it um can't say i've seen much since but i I mean i would be lying because Mm -hmm. these guys today they so fucking crazy with it but uh back then you didn't see stuff like that just you know all the flips and so clean you didn't see that and i seen that was wcw around 96 when i started seeing ray mysterio yeah it's funny that up, I feel, because Ray debuted in WCW in June of 96, right around the time Hall and Nash debuted in WCW, and a month before Bash Beach, when Hogan popped up and turned, and the NWO turned on and the NWO was on, then I don't think it was the following night, it was a week later on Nitro, is when Ken Nott and Nash Raymond threw him like a dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that put, that? and that put him on the map too. That put him on the map. Yes. That, yeah, like at, at that point he was a star. Like who the hell, who the hell is this little guy that tried to attack these big dudes? Got shot, shot into a production trailer like a dart. And that they and they thought that that was a shoot. You know, they, um, people around town were saying that they were calling, um. The police to go to they were at Disney or Universal Studios they, they were calling the police to go check on this shit. How that's how serious wrestling was. You brought up USW every time there was uh did an angle where he got hit hit by a car. One time it was Eddie Gilbert called in the parking yeah. lot of the studio that they were filming the, the live wrestling on Memphis television. You guys got it on tape, but Memphis showed years before Raw did live. The people people watching it on TV called the police, and the police showed up. Mm-hmm. I, I hear somebody was a victim of a hit and run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. That's, I mean, that, the beauty the beauty of wrestling, man. Back because you had kids that believed it was real, but you also had adults that still had like this thought of kayfabe. The best and, example. The best example, Raphael, was back in 1980. It was ridiculous. 
of Mid-South Wrestling. They ran an angle in which uh, the Freebirds, Michael Hayes, Buddy Roberts, Terry Gordy, blinded Junkyard Dog. And the following week, they showed a clip of the JYD, and this was right around the time his only child was born, his daughter was born. And so he's in the hospital with his eyes bandaged, saying, my baby just got off. Lord, did Michael Hay, I can't even see my baby. I may never see again. Oh, God, is our witness. If I ever do see again, I'm coming after you, Michael Hayes. I'm coming after you, Freebirds. Right after that aired, thousands of fans sent money to that hospital for JYD. Sent money to the Mid-South Wrestling Offices for JYD. <laughs> you, know you, had heat. you know you had heat when you had shit like that. I remember hearing stories yeah. about this before. That's heat. I remember Jim Cornette saying that's why he started carrying the tennis racket and he would load it with bricks and shit just because they yes. had so yeah. much fucking heat that people would attack them. People would bring guns and, you know, like, you know, and men south, I mean, the common, that, that's a common name that comes up of a territory just had, that had a lot of fucking heat. Like, hey, in Detroit, I think a couple of times people try to stab the Sheik. <laughs> the yeah. motherfuckers hated the Sheik. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they uh I heard a, I heard a story about how he killed the town and and people he had he was getting death threats and all that. He beat he beat Andre. Um and you didn't yeah, beat Andre. Forget. You didn't beat Andre the giant. He beat Andre and he killed the town as a result, but um he almost got himself killed. <laughs> and another thing people forget that they uh, the WWF made it up. Andre was not undefeated. Andre lost to the Sheik. He lost to Harley Race. He mm-hmm. lost to he lost to Ronnie Garvin. I believe he lost to Jerry Lawler one time, if I'm not mistaken. He back in the seventies, and he lost to Tony Loki a bunch of times in Japan. He wasn't mm-hmm. undefeated, but he, yeah. he never did lose in WWF. They could have said. All right, so now we're going to go to the first match we're talking about. Tonight. We're talking about three of Ray's greatest matches. And to be honest, Rafael, we 20-part series on Ray, on Ray Mysterio because he's had so many incredible matches. But today we'll talk about three of them. The first one, Aaron, on ECW back in October of 1995. Two out of three falls, Ray versus Psychosis. Talk us through the match, talk about some of the highlights, and talk about the things that amazed you. So, first of all, I think we have to, before talking about the match, we have to talk about, you know, Eric Bischoff was credited, so to speak, with bringing um, cruiserweight wrestling to the mainstream. And I guess you can kind of give him that, but he found cruiserweights in ECW. So, Paul Heyman was the first person that bought cruiserweight wrestling yes, to yes. the states in a way yes, that it was it yes, presented yes. it in a way that it wasn't presented. He literally copy and pasted that from what he was seeing in uh, Extreme Championship Wrestling, which was Eastern Championship Wrestling before that. Right, um, right. Paul Heyman was the guy that did that, and the reason that this match is something that everybody should study because. And honestly, 
Psychosis and Eddie Guerrero, they were probably interchangeable as probably Ray's two greatest opponents and during that time. They had chemistry like right. no other. And it's one thing I would always, if I'm going to talk people through this match, is just look at how much time they spent in the air or how much time they spent on the ropes. Um, can't beat that match and looking at how clean that is because people do it now and they're not as clean as uh, Ray Mysterio on Psychosis were. It looked clean. Everything they did like Raphael, they make too many mistakes today. Even now, Ray is 47 years old and he doesn't do as much as he used to, but when he does do it, it's still clean at 47. Yeah. These guys are in the air. I, don't, I mean, I, I forgot how many minutes this match was, but how many minutes this match was, but let's look how long they were in the air. Just look at how long they were on the road. Yeah, I think it was, it was a 17 minute match. It was longer. It was edited for television. This match, I think, 25 minutes, but they cut a lot out in order for it to air on television. Yeah, and they spent so much time on those ropes and in the air, and you know, just the just the athleticism, just how acrobatic they were, but it still looked like the shit hurt it. It wasn't like it was just a lot of flippy floppy stuff, man. This shit like it legitimately hurt it, and you didn't know who was gonna win. You know, at the end of the day, you just don't know how how any of them are gonna come out of it because of how much chemistry they had. And how much they sold for one another. You could tell like that was a great, great deal of respect between these two competitors. And they had some great matches um in WCW, which is probably um seeded in what they had going on here in ECW. Yeah, what I what uh one thing I want to mention, talk about uh flippy flop and the whole nine today. So many of these moves are copied and used, but these guys don't sell it as being. I mean, you a triple salt, salt, plancha off the road, hit the guy on the table, and the, and the guy pops right back up like nothing happened. Yeah. And this yeah, match, I'm Raphael. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you bring it up. Match, Raphael, yeah. Ray is selling every, every. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like you just didn't know who was gonna come out of this match because it was just, it was so much. Um, the shit mm-hmm. heard it, and they spent a lot of time on the outside. You know, I think like shit, two, two or three minutes in into the match, man, they were outside. You know what I'm saying? They was outside and and you know hitting that concrete. Um, they you know going through tables, and it's like, am I getting up from this shit? Who who's getting up from this? I mean, psychosis dived out on Ray at some point mm-hmm. on the on the table. Um, you know, oh, leg drop with the leg drop. Oh, yeah. Was it before that where a Ray put the chair around his neck like a tie and was yeah, slapping him? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that was, was crazy. That. And yeah. the thing is, he sold it. You couldn't tell me, and I'm and I watched it again last night and this morning, watching it with 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 uh 2022 eyes. I don't know how he sold that because it looked like he ran into the post. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they 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 had some great matches, and and be honest, man, shit, they probably didn't sell it. That shit probably legitimately hurt. I mean, shit, a lot of those careers, <laughs> a lot of their careers, like I mean, you know, Ray got new legs right now, you know, from uh doing the experimental stem cell treatment. A lot of these guys lost the knees just like Ray did. You know, Ray Ray started breaking down. You know, once he got to WWE, it was kind of 
over. He was breaking down at that point. But a lot of these guys, they they broke down around the same time period because this shit legitimately hurt it. This is if it's not strong style wrestling, it's close to it because again, they're in the air and right. you know they're doing so much mm-hmm. in the air. You know that shit hurt in a whole another stratosphere versus like mat wrestling, and that hurts. But you know, when you on the ground a lot, that's cool. But when you in the air and doing a lot of shit, and then they, you know, this is ECW. So they were incorporating tables and chairs, which that was, I think those are the only two weapons that came in those matches, uh, in that match uh, precisely. But shit, they used them perfectly. You know what I mean? And, but that was how rest, that was, that's how Mexican wrestling is, man. It's, it's, it's very um, beautiful. It's a dance that looked like it fucking hurt. And this, this match is a perfect example of it. I was shocked that Psychosis won this match. Now, my memory, I hadn't watched this match in over over 20 years. And I, I remember from reading up the match, and um, by the way, kudos to Joey Styles, who did a hell of a job calling this match because it was not back, and he kept up the match. This was the second of three-match series in ECW, the final culminating in a Mexican death match. Mm-hmm. Um if those matches are out there, I'd highly recommend everybody to watch those matches. So Psychosis wins, and then a few months later, Ray goes to WCW. We talked about his debut. We talked about him getting thrown into the into the trailer like a dart by Kevin Natch, which is like which is a lot of people talk about that, Raphael, as much as they talk about Hogan with the leg drop on Macho Man when he turned when he turned on Macho Man and, and, and um Sting. That was Right there, that captured the beginning of the attitude. Absolutely, and that was um, yeah, and that was and that was and that was because it looked real. It was like first of all, you didn't know what was going on. I had just seen uh, Scott Hall as Razor Ramon and Kevin Nash's DJ right. on WWF TV. Now they over here, Hulk Hogan, who has never been. A, a bad guy on TV because he started his career as a heel, but um, when he became a star, he was just a long-term babyface. He had never been a right, bad guy right. in the eyes of the kids. Right. And he's right, now a right. bad guy. We see all of this shit going on. Is this an invasion? And he also what 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 also made it made it uh that he was in WWF all those years and he only be subject for two years. So is this a master plan by Hogan to take over WCW? I was looking, yeah. it was planned. And at the time, Raphael, Eric Bischoff was offering Bret Hart record money to come over to continue. And uh, we might be looking at WCW and the end of WWE had Bret Hart going there in '96 and at '97. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. He he had you know what Vince McMahon has today. Ted Turner had that in the 80s. So the, yes. the, check was, yes. the check was blank. It was a blank check. He could yes. sign whoever with for however much. Um, and he was doing this solely to put them out of business. I mean, shit. He had Sting. He had Flair. He had Vader. He had a lot of guys that was there that, he, shit, they never got paid bumps like that while they were home homemade talents or homegrown talents for WCW. But he he poached everybody away from Vince. He took everybody, even people that was useless. And then we learned later, like, Vince let you go because he didn't fucking need you. And 
you know, if you can go over there and get signed and get, you know, close to Sting money to do nothing or work half the time, she go over there and do it. No, the, the, the three guys, the three guys he wanted to keep, though, he wanted to keep Hall and Nash. Mm-hmm. No, actually, Hall, he wanted to let go Hall just for the drug test. And I think he had gotten tired of Scott and his recreational use. Nash was their number one heel in 96. That was a huge blow to Vince. Because yeah. it took, it took, it wasn't until Stone Cold exploded at the King of the Ring that year that he finally got his number one heel. Because Nash was a great heel feuding with The Undertaker, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels early 96 before he went to, uh, went to WCW. And mm-hmm. Bret Hart, Vince had to keep Bret Hart because he was the face of the company. Yeah, he had to. He had to. So, um, but he went up against a hell of a monster with Ted. Ted Turner guy. He had money. He had, and they had two different business models too. So when we took, when we break all this stuff down, you know, Vince ran a wrestling company before it was a corporation. Right. It was a right. wrestling. Right. Company. right. So he made money on wrestling. And wrestling was not at its best state at the time for anybody, not alone Vince McMahon, the biggest show in town. So he was not in a position to keep people knowing that you had a television company that just so happily had a wrestling property um, that didn't care about wrestling uh, products or revenue. They didn't care about live shows. They should, they gave everybody free tickets. You know, they were in Universal Studios and they would, sell it out because it was paper. Everybody came for free. They didn't care about pay-per-view revenue because they were a cable right. company. They didn't care about merchandise. It, it, was more, it was more than that, though, Raphael. It was more than that, though, because another company would have gotten rid of WCW. Mm-hmm. Ted Turner, who was the CEO, was being advised to get rid of the Turner, told the board of directors of uh, what at the time was a uh, Turner Broadcasting before it, yeah. before they merged with AOL. Uh, look, wrestling made me money. Wrestling is the reason why I'm here. I am never going to get rid of wrestling as long as I own Turner Broadcasting. And Absolutely. the minute he didn't own it, that's when they quit. Yep. So it had a, it served a different purpose for Ted because again, it, you know, he he was in the TV business. Ad, ad, ad revenue was what he made his money on. So. He didn't need those other revenue models to get it. So to get wrestlers, what what do you want? I pay you whatever to get you to come over here and, and wrestle on my station because and you know I think about it too, man. Vince Vince was not big on guarantees at the time. He was big on opportunity. So everybody had a downside guarantee of like fifteen hundred dollars or right. something like that. Right. You can make more money right. if you got right. over. Um, in WCW, you, 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 you made. You make your money on pay-per-view sales, uh, attendance, uh, uh, box office, right, and merch merchandise. Yeah, and you didn't have that same situation at WCW, so it was real sexy. It was real attractive, and but that also that was that's what caused that meteoric rise. We had all these people over here, and Ray just so happily came over there and benefited from it. And then you know you got to give credit to the Scott Halls and Kevin Nash's because. They wasn't necessarily marked out to where it's like it's always about me. It's like they see Ray, they see Chris Jericho, they see these guys, and they like shit. If I can get an angle with them, shit, I don't care. I do it because they didn't have to do that with Ray. They didn't have to at all. They could have just said we gonna walk around a little cool. But um, you know, Ray speaks to how Kevin told him like I got an idea. You know what I mean? Shit, you gonna be on the truck? 
and you know, you jump, I'm gonna dart you, and boom. And then he was made, he was a main man at that point. He was made, he, he was, was made, made from that point. Then we, we go to 97, he's shooting with Eddie Guerrero, and their biggest match happens on Halloween Havoc 97. This stole the show. This was the opening match, and it stole the show. Just what Raphael was saying, the undercard is what the hardcore fans like Raphael and I were looking forward to. The, I, I understand why the Hogans and the Pipers and the Savages were past their prime, were in the main event, because they were getting paid the most money. So that's yeah. understandable. But the, that, And that drew the casual fan. I'm not going to lie. The casual fan came out in record numbers back then. The hardcore fans, it was the Eddie versus Halloween Havoc number four to the most. And boy, did they deliver. Raphael, take us through this match. This is one of my all time favorite matches. Not Ray matches, not Eddie match. All time, this is one of my top three favorite matches of all time. You've seen. Wow, man, that's saying a lot because you've seen a lot of wrestling. You've you, seen, and, and now we got to we gotta jump off of Ray for just a second. Eddie Guerrero, Eddie Guerrero, people call him the Mexican Shawn Michaels. I'm uh, before before, you, before you continue, hold up, Rafael, Rafael, one second. Before you continue, don't don't talk too much about it. I'm going to have you back on. Next year, you and I do in a few months, we'll be on Eddie. So you know, be brief yeah, with that I'm one. Yeah. I'm gonna keep it. I'm gonna keep it smooth. I'm just gonna say yeah. this: right. Eddie right. was, Eddie was the man. The mm -hmm. end. But to see, you've seen a parallel of, and this is the beauty. Eddie could play in the air as well, but this match, Eddie played the ground. He beat the shit mm -hmm. out of Ray on the ground. Like he spent most of the time being a beautiful heel. You know, just getting heat submissions. And while and while we can't talk about Eddie, I'll go into a little bit more detail about his father because you've really seen what he learned mm -hmm. from his father in this match. Gory Guerrero does not get enough credit and does not get that, that, about not him. only Gory Raphael, Hector Mondo and Chavo Senior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They don't get enough, they don't not get enough acknowledgement or recognition as great wrestlers and being a great wrestling family, but the Guerrero wrestling family, they some bad motherfuckers. Mm -hmm. And it all started and with every, And every one, every one of the wrestlers, if you ever saw, uh, and for, for those who have never seen Hector Guerrero, go to YouTube, his Florida stuff, his Memphis stuff, he was the spitting image of Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they they were they they were some bad boys and yeah. you know their father, you know, their father was tag team, he was a tag team wrestler with El Santo back in the day. And um this guy invented moves that people use today that you just you see them and don't even know like the history behind them. But Hector, uh I mean not Hector, uh, Gory Guerrero was very innovative and he was a he was a stiff wrestler. And what you've seen, if the one word I could use to describe Eddie in this match, he was fucking stiff. Like, those submission moves and, you know, the way that he would uh, slam uh, Ray, it was, it looked like everything looked like, once again, it looked like it hurt. Now, because he was so skilled, you know that it was pillow. You know, he, he, you know, he made sure that he didn't hurt Ray and he had a greater deal of respect for him, but 
he spent a lot of Ray Mysterio spent a lot of time on the mat in this match. Uh, he had him in several submission holds and moves, and you know he he beat Ray up, but Ray stole. The, they told a beautiful story of a the little guy who was not supposed to win the match. He ended up still in the match and in the uh one of the greatest finishes ever, man. Like I won't try to go to the end when you know we all watch this match, man. They uh Eddie had Ray in the air on the turnbuckle on the top row. Oh, oh like he was man. gonna do and they did it like so that. picture perfect. Oh, it was picture perfect. It looked like it looked yeah. like he was gonna get hit him with a razor's edge or some shit. And yeah. yeah. He uh Ray reversed it into a a, a Frankensteiner's or something and won the match. But that this is the this is one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. And it wasn't long. I mean, it might have been edited, but it, it looked like this was on live TV, so it's like 15 minutes. And you talk yeah, about it was it that that's the entire pay-per-view match, but it was 15 minutes of nonstop action. But in the, like you mentioned, there was a lot of groundwork and and um Oh, talk about when he ripped the mask. And yeah. this is this is how great this match is. Reds practically half blind in this match because of the mask being all fucked up, and he's got to protect his face and not mask yeah. off. So that yeah. makes this match even greater than it was. And they had they the psychology behind it, and like you know the story that was being told while they were mad. And then Mike Tanay was a, a like a wrestling encyclopedia. You know what I mean? And he spoke so highly of every, whether it was Ultimo Dragon that was from Japan and spoke to Japanese wrestling or, you know, whenever the luchadors were wrestling, he spoke to Mexican wrestling or it was uh, Steven Regal from the UK spoke to wrestling over there. Like he knew his history and he really, he told that story. One thing that will also play as an advantage as to why this match is so great and why WCW at this time was so great was because you had you had Turner Broadcasting that had access to all of these different intellectual properties that WWF didn't have. Um, to see Rey Mysterio come out and he had on a special costume um, that mirrored the Phantom, I believe. That was the Phantom movie. Um, WWF could never do that. They could never do that without getting some type of infringement lawsuit or anything like that. Ray started that, and Ray would do it in right. the WWE. When he went over there, he would do like the Marvel. You know, he would wear like his um, during special, like maybe WrestleMania, he would have like a Spider-Man inspired costume, whatever the case may be. Well, Ray started that in WCW, and this was the first time that he did it, um, you know, mirroring a movie that was out or something that was coming out or something that had been out, and he took it and made it his own way in the costume, this is the first time he did it, and we had never seen that out of Ray. Uh, he had a, a singlet on, you know, that was long sleeve and all the way down his ankles, and he just looked badass. He looked clean. That was a nice That was a nice get-up. And just that was the, great the Halloween Havoc was just a gorgeous setup in, to begin with, and he came and made it, he made it cold with that costume. I want to add to what you said about Mike today. It is criminal that he is not announcing for a major organization today because the man's knowledge of pro wrestling trumps everybody out there, all the announcers. He's incredible. He knows every hold. He knows the history. And today, if I'm not mistaken, has followed wrestling since the 1960s. 
Dickie grew up in Vegas, so he saw all the companies, and he was a huge AWA fan, but mm-hmm. made those nitros and those pay-per-views even enhanced was his knowledge of the moves and the sport. He's giving you a history lesson. He's talking about Gory, the Gory special. Talk about how Gory and El Santo were tag team partners, just like you brought mm-hmm. up how El Santo was jealous of Gory because El Santo wasn't as flashy as Gory. Uh, talk about uh, Hector when he was a heel back in AAA. And by the yeah. way, this what another reason why WCW was able to capitalize on foreign talent by using it on their television is because they had a deal with New Japan at the time and yeah. Conan was bringing in all his buddies from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Another another um, unsung hero of wrestling was Conan mm-hmm. because he was the Hulk Hogan of triple. He was the Hulk Hogan of Mexico, um, although he's Blank. not Mexican. Yes, he was. Yeah, he he was the he was the Hulk Hogan of Mexico, and to get you know prime time national coverage to be on WCW was was huge for him. Um, mm-hmm. But he bought he bought all those guys up here. He bought a lot of those guys up there, and what we ended up seeing the cruiserweight division. Which you know, at some point, uh, the WCW people fucked up criminally, and Vince, you know, saw that he got the, the the slim pickings of and and turned those guys into bigger stars. But um, Conan is credited with bringing those people up. You know, bought those people in, and they got to be you know seen in the perfect perfect segue into the next segment we're going to talk about briefly. The unmasking of Rey Mysterio and Eric Bischoff pissing on the Lucha Libre tradition and the continuing the continual jobbing out of La Parca, Psychosis, Juventud Guerrero. The unmasking of Rey was criminal and it should have never happened. And Rey didn't want to do it. He fought against it. He went to Bischoff and said, look, this is my heritage. Um, I'm not I, I don't agree with I don't agree with this. Bischoff told him, well, you don't have to do it, and you don't have a job if you don't do it. So his hands were tied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, and it's it's kind of contradictory. Well, not kind. Of, it's absolutely contradictory because the reasoning for removing the mask never justified by the push that they were given. So you know, according to Eric Bischoff, right, I'm a fan right, of Eric Bischoff. Right. This was a very dumb move. This was a very dumb move, but the yeah. reasoning was, well, they can't become bigger stars unless people can connect with them, and you can't connect without the mask. So we got to take the mask off and get them to talk. Uh, that that's that's cool if you're gonna put them in the you know heavyweight title picture, if you're gonna get them some big programs with maybe now now to be fair, um, giving them Chris Jericho and giving him that you know. I'm going to take, I'm going to remove every mask from the luchadors. That was a good, that was a good program to have. Um, but y'all gave it to somebody who, again, y'all never considered to, you know, be a big star. I mean, shit, you know, Chris Jericho lobbied to work with Goldberg and it didn't happen. So if y'all would have gave no, it the, the credit, you know, and he was, and yeah. That should have been a pay-per-view main event because he was talking. He was the only wrestler talking shit about Goldberg, and people were laughing. People yeah. were laughing. People were like, they wanted to see Goldberg give this arrogant punk his comeuppance, and it was twofold. Bischoff didn't think it would sell, and Goldberg was 
being very spiteful because he was getting dissed left and right, and he didn't want to fuck with Jericho. They lo- they left money on the table because Jericho was killing Goldberg. They didn't even let Goldberg respond. Yeah, yeah, and it was in it, so it didn't make sense to unmask everybody if they were never going to go anywhere. Ray went nowhere after got getting unmasked. Who to Guerrero? They didn't go anywhere after being unmasked. They just stayed cruiserweights, and it was like, well, shit, can I at least get a a TV title? Can I get a U.S. title run? Can I get anything outside of this cruiserweight uh, box that I'm in? They never got that. So while I can see in, you know, in Mexican heritage and Mexican wrestling, the unmasking oftentimes created new. Um, you I, you got unmasked for two reasons yes. during yeah. Lucha Libre, in, in, uh, in Lucha Libre, to retire. So your last match, you know, you're not wrestling anymore you could, right. you know, put your mask up. Or if you were creating a new character of yourself, you would be unmasked at that point. You know, Eddie shit in the late 80s was when he debuted, he was masked. And he mm-hmm. lost the match and then he was unmasked. And then what we got was the Eddie Guerrero that we have for the rest of his career. So, um... Okay. Un- With Eddie, yeah. Eddie was easy. Eddie was easy because he knew he wasn't going to... He's from a Mexican royal family. So they yeah. knew that that mass gimmick wasn't going to last a while, but they knew they could capitalize when the time came, when the time came to unmask him. Yeah. Uh, you look at Ray, and even today, Ray, Ray, but, but back then, when they unmasked Ray back in 1999, he was 24 years old, but when they took the mask off, he looked like a 16-year-old kid was having hair issues. That was balding. He looked like a balding sixteen-year-old kid. You can't yeah. capitalize on that. No. Yeah. And you he and again, yeah. And not only that, like we did not like the model was different. They didn't care about merchandise. Now, do you know how many masks y'all would have fucking sold if y'all would have just kept these guys masks and cared? Vince, Vince is like shit. Put that bitch back on because it's time to get money, but. They didn't have that attitude in WCW, which is criminal. Because but the thing is, they were they were making money. Exactly. They were making money on Goldberg T-shirts, NWO T-shirts, the Sting mask. Remember the Sting mask? Because I, I yeah. bought one for my son. Those 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 were being sold at the at the merchandise stands throughout the arenas. But you didn't see like great point you made. You didn't see a single luchador mask. Imagine the money they would have made with a La Parker or or, or Ray Mysterio mm-hmm. mask. And they yeah. buried La Parker. Yeah, La- it was criminal what they yeah. did to La Parker. Because he was super oh, duper yeah, over. <laughs> and he's still over to this day. In in you know, in the different carnations of uh La Parker, whether it's LA Park or whatever. Right. That, right. that that gimmick was and always what, it's funny. He's still huge box office in the Mecca Bear movie. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. He's gonna be over forever, and they just never thought they never thought that far because they didn't think that far of the wrestler. They didn't think that far of the heritage and culture. They didn't think about the money. It's like you keep these guys masked, and even if they mid card and can put on a good show and have a good few shit, it's gonna be money. They gonna get bread, but they didn't think about that. So he, uh, you know, he wasn't a a thing to unmask everybody. This is a, is a. Except wait to his introduction in WWE. When he arrives at WWE, it is the WWE. It's no longer the WWF. June of 2002, mm-hmm. the WWF had recently changed the name to WWE because they lost a lawsuit to the World 
Wildlife Fund. He yeah. comes in, and you're right. McMahon says, no, we're putting the mask back on. Because McMahon saw this kid that could do, well, he's 27 at the time, so he's not a kid. But he sees this young man that could do all these moves, and he sees he sees nothing but money because he could see. Because McMahon always thinks first, how do I market to the children? Mm-hmm. For several years in New York City, and I would say from that point on to the early 2010s, every Halloween you see kids with rain masks. I don't know about anywhere else. I don't know if you saw that in Detroit, but in New York around Halloween, you saw a ton of Ray Mask. It was a huge, WWF was making ton of money, ton of merchandise money, and Ray himself with his cut with the mask. He comes in and immediately he's a hit. He's already over with the kids. Because of Ray Mysterio, for years, SmackDown, SmackDown, whether it was on UPN or wherever it was on, UPN, uh, my networks, whatever it was on. Now it's on Fox. But before it even came to Fox, the audience, the biggest audience of any other network television program because of Ray. Yeah. Because the children loved Ray. Yeah. He came in right away. He was immediate hit. And they put him in with this feud with Kurt Angle. And man, man, Kurt Angle, I mean, I, I could talk forever on Kurt Angle. That man was a genius in the ring. One of the most gifted pro wrestlers of all time. And he could work with any style. And he worked perfectly with Ray style. We go to SummerSlam 2002. Ray Mysterio versus Kurt Angle. Another opening match. This is yep. the opening match of this incredible... This is, in my uh, Raphael, the greatest SummerSlam of all time because you had great match after. You had the Triple H bloodbath with Stone Miles at this match, and you had an incredible, iconic main event, the Rock versus Brock. Rock versus Brock, the passing of the torch match. Yeah, yeah, this, uh, is talk, this is definitely the greatest. This is definitely this, the greatest this SummerSlam. SummerSlam was ridiculous. And I'm sure, because my memory fails me, I'm sure there was some type of Dudley's uh, uh, well, they had broken up already. The Hardys, the Hardys were together. I'm sure there was some type of Hardys, uh, Dudley's thing on there. I know about that point in time, broken up. I know this was major card. Great match after great match. Talk us through this match. This match is similar to the Eddie and Ray's match in Halloween Havoc because you have another dance partner that you can't go wrong with. Kurt Angle. Uh, again, and I don't want to go out. I'm pretty sure you either will do a show or have done one already. Yeah. So, so, no, I will, I will, I will do a show probably with your boy Verge. So, I think okay. I'm gonna do a show because I'm doing a show with Verge next week on The Rock, and I think from there I'm gonna do a show with, with Verge on Angle. So, just be, 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 be brief on Kurt Angle. Talk yeah, about when he yeah. first came in and, and stuff like that. Go ahead. Yeah, Kurt, man, was first of all a, a legitimate wrestler, um, mm-hmm. a legitimate gold medalist. Right, won, mm-hmm. won the gold in the '96 Olympics, and you know people speak with a broken him. neck, with, with a, a broken, broken neck, with a broken freaking neck. But people speak to you know trainers and things like that that have been around wrestling for years, and they say you know it's it's not that it's not that common for a person that didn't necessarily love pro wrestling to come in and learn so fast. I think Bruce Pritchard said that he. He was the fastest learner he had ever seen. Yeah, he said yeah. that he he caught it within a few tries of like he hit the mat and it was on from there. So 
The guy was just—he was just a natural at it. Um, a great storyteller outside the ring, which um, just only complimented what he did in the ring. But he was just—he was the perfect partner in crime in this in this sense, like Eddie was back in Halloween Havoc. Um, for Ray to come in this match, uh, once again, um, it gave uh, it, it was a lot of mat work. It was a lot of just. He beat the shit out of Ray, and Ray is just one of the. I mean, he's he's a, I mean, he's a little guy, so it's easy to believe that he's getting beat up. But the way that he sells, the way that he oh. comes back, the way that he sells, and the way that he comes back is beautiful. And the people that he's wrestling with does they just do it justice to end once again. The the match does no justice to the ending because the ending was beautiful. The way that he's he he is oh, that was a perfect ending. It was a perfect ending. It's almost like it's almost like Ray was gonna win, and it was similar to like you know he he definitely finna lose this match. And he sneaks and wins with Eddie. Well, it's kind of like Kurt kind of sneaks and wins with Ray, and it was it was the the matches is a beautiful match. A lot of mat work, a lot of groundwork, a lot of shit in the air. Um, not as much because you know uh Ray was a little bigger. You know, he got a little older, mm-hmm. um, but he was still, st- I mean, still to this day, he he, he could fly, and he was flying this match, and um, Kurt Angle just, he's just, I don't know, man, that's just a great, one of my top five all time, but absolutely, just the, want- the perfect start, the perfect start to a career that was legendary in the WWE. Who who else better to start with than Kurt? Within 20 years. He's been in the WWE 20 years. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. He's been in the WWE 20 years. My favorite move for this match was he went outside ring and Ray wanted to jump and the referee said no. The referee blocked him and I was like, wait a minute. What the fuck's going on here? And then the mm-hmm. referee turns around to, Kurt, to, to count Kurt Angle and he jumps over the referee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the, the crowd caught it too. It went, the crowd went crazy. So... Yeah, man, it, it, and that's and that is this is probably the best era of wrestling for the WWE. You know what I mean? Because we, you know, let's go back. We talk about how WCW always had the greatest greatest undercard, but the shittiest main events. Well, the WWF always had the shittiest undercards and the greatest main events during this time until period, this era. Until yeah, this era, this right? Era, the start. The opening match is always a curtain jerk. They always started hot. And it was whether it was with maybe like Ray or maybe somebody mm-hmm. like Eddie. Then you had X-Pac mm-hmm. at times. You had always had a great opener. And you always had it just built up to just a, a greater match. Then a greater match than that one. Then a greater match than that one. This time period, everything was everything was smoking hot when it came to in-ring product for the WWE, which especially not been that. Especially SmackDown, I feel because SmackDown, Paul Heyman was in charge of booking SmackDown from that point to about 2006, 2007, when he had a falling out over the rebranding of ECW. Disaster occurred, but he was in charge of SmackDown, and week after week after week, you had, and I think it was they they called them the SmackDown Six. Um, I might forget a few names, but I know you had Eddie, you mm-hmm. had Benoit. Yep. You had Ray. Yep. Uh, who am I missing? You there was three other guys. You had Eddie, Eddie Ray, Edge, 
Edge, Edge. There was two others. But they, they were called the SmackDown Six. Those six guys gave you great matches week after week after week, and did and the pay-per-views would always have great matches on top with either Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar when when he when he came up. But in the card with Ray and Benoit and Eddie, Edge, Christian, it was it was loaded. It was it was absolutely loaded, and and many of those storylines associated with Ray, for example, they teased you no know, taking the mask. I remember shit in one match, uh, and it might have been this one. I don't remember, but I remember Kurt ripping his mask off, but he kept his face covered. So it was like they played on you know we gonna get that mask, we gonna get that mask, but Vince always protected Ray and always protected the mask. So. They played off of the things that you're supposed to do versus Bischoff, who said, no, we taking that bitch off and we want him to talk. Shit, Ray could talk with the mask on. So it didn't make sense mm-hmm. to go and, and just rip everybody's mask off and take them. Now, um, some guys, when they came over to, uh, you know, the, the big leagues or the WWE after the mask was removed, they just kept them off. I know Hoobie didn't get the biggest run there, but his mask was off. Um uh, Super Calo, who lost his mask as well. Like, those examples. Like, and I think that's probably why, you know, uh, Lil Parker and all those guys just never came over. they like, fuck this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I know that I can get. You know what? Well, this is Vince's thinking, I believe. Too many masks spoil the importance of the main mask guy in Ray. He wants him to, he wants him to, to look different. Yeah, and make and that make and that makes sense too. It's like today. Mm-hmm. So I I understand where Vince is coming from, in in that regards. And this speaking of taking off the mask is a perfect segue because eventually Ray would take his mask off, but before he did that, for one minute, before he did that, he had an incredible feud right before Eddie died with Eddie, in which Eddie. And we'll talk more about this in the Yeti segment. But with dude, the whole angle with Dominic being Eddie's son, the whole nine, Eddie dies. And uh, remind me, he had a match in honor of Eddie against Shawn Michaels. And when the match ended, he took his mask off in memory of, of Eddie, but he put his head down so no one could see his face. Yeah. Yeah. Again, just playing into the legend. You know what I'm saying? Like when you are mm-hmm. working with a, a, a a owner, promoter, manager, whatever that has some type of respect for what you stand for in your history, you get to do stuff on your own terms if it makes sense. You know what I'm saying? And this made perfect sense. You know, and let's be fair, he wrestled for years without it. So he was was he was he really protecting anything, but it also just showed how But how- but no, hold up now. But the, the, there's a point there though. There's a point there why he put his face down. His biggest audience are the kids. Those yeah. kids never seen the WCW stuff. They were these eight, nine-year-old kids. So to see Ray's face, right, to see Ray's face would have been a, a culture shock. They would be like, oh, why? No. Ray is thinking, all right, I'm going to pay tribute to one of my all-time best friends, my closest friends in Eddie. I'm going to take my mask off and put my head down so the kids, my audience, do not see my face. And that's smart. Like that's you. It, it goes back to not only having a vigilant leader that at least 
understands like, hey, you need the mask to protect the legend of what this means, but also smart enough to say, hey, there's a lot of people in his audience that didn't see you in 99, 2000, 2001 mm-hmm. without it. So we can protect it. The mm-hmm. audience, you know, and then, you know, as parents, you know, we probably looking at it like, I know what the fuck he look like. So he ain't got to hide. <laughs> I know my little daughter never seen his face. So it's like, okay, we're going to protect it. You know what I'm saying? So it's genius. It was just all genius. And it just shows like, man, you can just rework something. You get another chance when you, when you have a person that cares. You know what I'm saying? You have a team. That cares. This is not all Vince. He got writers and producers, and they all they speak mm-hmm. to that type of psychology. Like, yo, no, we should we gonna protect this mask. And there's a lot of people out here that have never seen you before anyway. So we gonna re, we gonna repackage you and reintroduce you. Like, shit, you never took it off. You know what I mean? And that's beautiful. You know. So he got a whole new career. Became a legend. You know, he was already a legend, but became a bigger legend, a world champion. You know what I mean? Um, you can argue what those reigns look like, but the, for the fact that a little guy was mm-hmm. holding the world heavyweight title, um, that said that speaks a lot to who Ray uh, was in the culture, what he is now, what he means to just the history of wrestling. That he got two runs, what the, short, whatever, what the, but he got two runs. The sing, the single, the single biggest sell among the Latin American audience in the history of the WWE. They went into Mexico for about a five, six-year period, and they were killing AAA and CMLL at the box office. I never understood why they stopped going to Mexico, but whenever they did a tour of Mexico, they were selling out instantly. That was because of Ray. Uh, Mm -hmm. 20 years, just alone his WWE career, 20 years, not adding the 13 years that he wrestled beforehand. He's wrestled yeah. 33 years. He started when he was 14. Um, he's grooming his son now. If anybody ever needed a mask, his son needs a mask. Cause it's, I would have loved to see them come in as Ray Mysterio, Ray Mysterio Jr. But everybody knew about Dominic. So I, I understand where, where that comes from. But Ray, just a sensational career. And this segues into one last question I'm going to ask you. Name me. Your five greatest luchadors of all time. At all time, you started watching. So yeah. we're not going to count El Santo and Gorinum. So, so when you started watching wrestling, your five greatest luchadors of the last thirty years. Um, obviously Ray. You know the person that we're talking about. No, no, go from five. Go, go, go. Who's your number five? Go five on up to one. Uh, five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go psychosis was crazy. Mm-hmm. La Parker, number four. Um, just the the mm-hmm. he just bought an electricity to to the arena every time he came and did his thing. Um, Hubertu Guerrero, uh just I, another criminally underrated uh in-ring yep. performer. And I think a lot of backstage stuff that he did just kind of killed his career on the big stage, and he never got and not shot. only that. That the rock buried the rock buried his ass. The yeah, rock yeah, buried yeah, his yeah. ass. Cause remember the segment where the rock yeah, was I mean, was Jericho was trying to make fun of the rock. I should be the leader, and you should be the leader. You should be the leader of the W. I was running things here while you were in WCW, getting your ass handed to you by hooping to Guerrero. And the big show people. starts laughing. Big Show was laughing his ass off because he was there. He remembered. <laughs> yeah. 
but the juice was over. He was over uh, in, yes, the w- yes, in the WCW, yes. man. Ooh, but he also, yeah, you know, yeah. the rep- reputation proceeds. So you just kind of open the door for those types yeah, of yeah. things to come into the ring with other people. I mean, when The Rock can bring it up, shit, I mean that it, you know, your reputation proceeds. He was a, he was a diva, they said. <laughs> They say that, you know, <laughs> but another another criminally underrated wrestler, one of the guys that I used to wrestle with on the video games all the time was Hulu Two Guerrero. He was the guy. Um, number two, uh, um, I'm a I'm a just for the sake of who I'm more of a fan of, I'll put Ray there in number two okay. because I'm an Eddie guy. Mm-hmm. You know, Eddie was uh, Eddie hey. was Eddie was it. Eddie was it. Number one is Eddie Guerrero. That was it. Those five guys. Great top, great, great top five. One and two. I can't argue. See, one is one, two. It was one and one is two. Because those two are just so evenly paired and they're so, um, they're up. They're paired in life, period. Paired in wrestling. You can't talk about one without talking about the other because they came from the same era and both these guys, Eddie and Ray, revolutionized wrestling to the point where all the young talent in AEW, WWE, the the majority are mimicking their moves. So without a doubt, Eddie and Ray, Ray and Eddie, however you want to do, you cannot argue. Yeah, but I will say just for the sake of popularity, for the sake of popularity is Ray. You know, like Ray is the, he is the most popular luchador of all time next you know i mean we're gonna argue you can always argue el santo being the guy that started it all but the world is familiar with lucha libre wrestling because Rey mysterio the world not just mexico or parts of the united states the entire world is familiar with is on that raise on that el santo mil moscadas level of famous luchadors of all time those are the three Bill Santo and Ray. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's your holy trinity of when it comes to worldwide recognition. You go anywhere in the world, and if you ask a, a guy in his 40s and 50s, name me the three most famous Mexican wrestlers of all time. Those are the three they want to mention. What all matter? El Santo, Vasquez, and Ray Mysterio. Before we wrap it up, ladies and gentlemen, um, I want to let uh, Raphael give out his information, his website. Um, he's a black oak, black business owner, and I always want to credit my brothers as a neighborhood grocery store. Raphael, give out your information and where people can contact you and where you're located so people in the Detroit area can come and uh, buy groceries. Yeah, man, absolutely, man. I'm opening a grocery store on the east side of the city. Um, in the Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood, man, we um we are uh wrapping up construction in a month, and we, you know by the end of the summer we'll be open. Um, that's in the Jefferson Chalmers neighborhood. Neighborhood Grocery is the company. Um, it's my startup. It's equity crowdfunded as well as donation based crowdfunded, so people can contribute, and that's what's been the heart and the soul of this campaign and this project. People have been contributing, the people, not corporations not organizations but the people we've been building this ourselves so in a couple months we'll be open um you can find me on instagram and twitter because i'm on both uh actively um at pharaoh underscore rafa that's f-a-i-r-o pharaoh underscore rafa r-a-f-a 
um, my neighborhood grocery website, neighborhood-grocery.com. Um, it'll give you information on what the project is about, um, the why, the what, the when, or whatever, how you can contribute. Um, you can hit those up. I'm, oh, I'm a super okay. duper, yeah, I'm a super duper accessible person. Hit me in the DMs. Let's chat. Let's talk. Uh, let's talk wrestling shit. If you, you know, hear this podcast and uh, you want to um, talk further about, you know, I'm a, I'm a wrestling historian, so um, it ain't much that I don't know about. So hit me up and let's chat about it. But let's also talk about how, how we can build in the community. Um, right, not just right. Detroit, but beyond, man. Hit me up, man. I'm, uh, hit me up and I'm, I'm just so honored to be on here with 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 the guy, Ross, Rob Silver, man. This is my guy. I love this dude, a guy I've never met physically, but mm -hmm. this is my mm -hmm. guy. This is my absolute guy. Um, beautiful soul, um, a sports historian because he don't just touch <laughs> wrestling. He touch every fucking thing. And he's just a, a beautiful guy to interact with. Can't wait to come to the NY, be seen, shown around by my dude. Um, can't wait for him to come to the city at some point. Mm -hmm. and he can see the new city because it's probably not the same from you know, when he's been here, if he's ever been here, it's a whole new set. No, I, uh, I definitely, the first time I ever come visit Detroit, I got to come to your grocery store because when I do come, it will be up and running and we will definitely kick it. Man, this has been beautiful. You're, you are definitely a wrestling historian. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this man is a faithful follower of the new NWA. You want to talk about today's wrestling, talk to him about it because he, whenever the NWA has a pay-per-view or whatever, He's on there tweeting about it. So uh, yes, I want to shout I'm, out. Um, that's the most prestigious title, in, in my opinion. Was that's that the title belt you was wearing yesterday? That was the, I had the big go yesterday, but I got the sweet Charlotte. I got, I got the, I got the, I got the one, man. I got the Harley race belt, man, the dome glow, but I got the, I had the Ric Flair um, NWA title yesterday. Yeah, man, I had a pop up. Man, that, um, yeah. that, 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 that Harley race belt, man, that shit is iconic. I remember you tweeting about it because now, uh, is it Matt Cardona? He's wearing it now, right? That's the Harley yeah, race belt he's he's wearing. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Matt Cardona is the NWA champion. Uh, that's Matt. Uh, I don't know how many belts he got now, man. He got a lot of them, but yeah, he's the current NWA champion, doing real good with it too, man. The NWA is, um, that's my favorite wrestling product right now, honestly. So. Look, look, I ain't gonna lie. NWA power is very good show. Whenever you guys out, you. You want to watch something? It's on YouTube. Just type in NWA Power. Um, their shows are very, very, very good. It's got old school atmosphere. It looks like the old WTBS studios. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, All right, baby. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I said that's why I love it, man. So yeah, man. Anybody want to hit me up? Talk wrestling. I can do it all day. Hit me up. Um, hit Rob up so he can hit me up, and we are gonna get it popping, man. But yeah, this is a great show. Can't wait to be on here. I will put uh, in the in the notes description of the podcast. I'll put in Rafa's uh, website, and I will put in uh, his Twitter social media handle, so you guys can uh, uh, try uh, him. And if you need advice on the wrong type of grocery store, that's the man to talk to. Uh, Rafael will be back with me in a few months when we talk about Eddie Guerrero. Three of his greatest matches, his legacy, and this, and I, it's been my pleasure, man. I had a great time with Rafa. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, talk to you soon.
next? Oh, my God! Are you kidding me? He's here! Oh, we're not kidding you, King! That's Ray. my pick! My Mysterio! Pick. My pick is here! Your pick? Yes! Rey Mysterio, the man who won the 2006 Royal Rumble match! Rey Mysterio fighting his way to his feet. He ducks it! right now. Game plan backfired. Going for the oh. twist of fate. Look at Mysterio. Here's the cover. Oh, no, he got it. He got it. Mysterio wins the title. Mysterio wins the Cruiserweight title. Here is your winner and the new Cruiserweight champion, Ray Mysterio. Deja vu from SmackDown last October. Trouble. Ray's in trouble, no! What an on-drag counter! On-drag out of the ring! 